Consult Group, which has been launching brands into retail for over 30 years, has poured all of its expertise into the Retail Excellence Program so that yours can be next. This online learning program is an easy-to-follow course that helps you get into more retailers sooner. Sign up by going to www.retailexcellence.co. Once again, that's www.retailexcellence.co. You know, when I, I tell people about investing, it goes back to the old saying, it's a, it's a market of stocks, not a stock market. And I think the era of stock picking for the first time in 35 years is coming back. On this episode of Early Bird, Tom Samuelson, founder of Braun Network. Tom joins the podcast today to talk about why the S&P should not be a leading indicator, including a look at the current state of investing and the type of economic data that investors should look at in 2023. If you're an investor looking to stay on top of the latest market trends, then you're listening to the right podcast. This is Early Bird, and I'm your host, Stephen Lerner. Before we get to today's discussion, let me tell you you can save time and beat the market through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter featuring commentary about the latest trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and equity crowdfunding. Early Bird is designed to help individual and non-professional investors stay on top of all of the critical investing trends. The newsletter is 100% free and is sent to your email box each weekday morning. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, today's discussion. All right, Thomas, welcome to the Early Bird Podcast. How are you doing? I'm well, Stephen. How about yourself? Doing great. Thank you very much. I'm excited. We're going to talk about why the S&P should not be a leading indicator and what investors should know about that in 2023. But before we do that, Thomas, um, in 30 seconds or less, what should the audience know about you? Well, Stephen, I am a, I guess a, you might call a Wall Street lifer. I started right out of school and worked for a bunch of uh, what we call sell side or institutional firms, companies like Merrill Lynch, the old Smith Barney, a bunch of larger banks. I did work for Bear Stearns at one time. And uh, I transitioned to what we call the buy side, which is as an institutional investor, I worked for one of the oldest hedge funds in the U.S. for uh, and in the in the asset management business for 20 years. My specialty was investing outside of the U.S. Uh, internationally and concentrating on emerging countries. So I traveled pretty much all over the world to places like China, Brazil, Russia, uh, South Africa and kicked the tires and um, met political leaders and invested in companies. So wow. I've, had, I've, run, I've run the gamut of the, of the investment world. Incredible background. So great to have you here. The S&P 500 or the or S&P, um, obviously anybody who's involved with investing and trading is very familiar with that. But you say that the S&P should not be a leading indicator. Why do you feel that way? Well, what's this is it's been a long progression, but the, the, the basic problem with uh, using the S&P today, a leading indicator, it comes down to liquidity. And the reason I say that is that uh, these days, the, the liquidity in all market instruments, and you can talk stocks, you can talk bonds, uh, there's so much volatility because the lack there's a lack of institutional presence 
in the markets during, you know, in the middle of the trading day and other, and other times. And the S&P at times, and it's getting, it's becoming more and more, can be manipulated. Uh, there are a lot of countries around the world, uh, China, Japan, and, and some others where uh, the government is actively in those markets, you know, buying and selling and moving the markets. So th those indexes have become worthless as sort of uh, economic indicators. And I'm not saying the S&P is worth it. What I'm saying is it's becoming... Um, it's moving in, in, in ways that, that doesn't make sense that, you know, you can see that, you know, looking back, you know, three months, say, Hey, why did the S and P do that? There's no reason. So to me, because of illiquidity, the S and P can kind of be manipulated by large market players in the beginning in the morning at the end of the day, where that's where most of these guys, you know, they, they can, they, they, they trade over the last 15 minutes or the last half hour and move the market one way or the other and cause the market to open certain ways. So the S&P to me uh, is no longer a, I would say, a, a, a predictive tool. So you, you, you would talk to most market participants in the past, they'd say the S&P is, um, you know, is a six-month leading index for the economy. So if the S&P starts to really rise, that means in six, seven months, the economy is going to do better. Uh, I just don't think, given the track record of the S&P over the last, let's say, 10 years, because of we've had this, you know, this this long period of manipulated interest rates, forcing interest rates lower, because politicians and others don't want business cycles. That's another story. Uh, to me, the, the the this has caused, you know, just uh, an unreasonable movements in stocks over, over a period of time in terms of valuations that you really can't. Um, let's say use the S and P, for example, as a as a gauge to how the economy is going to do in you know six months. It's, it's, to me, it's no longer uh, a valuable indicator. It is an indicator. It's one of many indicators, but it's no longer a valuable indicator, in my humble opinion. So, you know, I certainly agree with you in that um, the market is bigger than the S and P, and it's not always, and the economy especially is not always tied directly to the S and P. There are many different factors. Um, in, in the broader economy that are beyond the S&P. I agree with you there. But you said, you know, just to, you brought up manipulation, you brought up big market players. Who exactly are you referring to? Well, just in general, I see, I see institutional investors, asset managers. Mm. So because of, because you don't have, I mean, this is a long story, but you know, with, with all of the financial and banking reforms, what happened was large banks and institutions, large banks and, and brokers like Goldman Sachs, Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, et cetera, which is, I'm sorry, uh, Citibank, et cetera, they are no longer allowed to buy stocks and hold stocks and buy stocks in their own account. And so they can no longer be, in a sense, market makers. They're out of the market. This was, this was, these are rules that have been in place for some time. Mm -hmm. And over time, what's happened is you have less and less in this move uh, in, during market hours, you have less and less of these of the of these traders, large traders getting involved. So what's happened is the larger institutions, let's say Fidelity or even large hedge funds, mm -hmm. when they when they want to buy and sell stocks, they're trading between let's say nine thirty and ten thirty, and then between three thirty and four o'clock. They're not even involved in the middle of the day. So the 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 amount of volatility in the middle of the day in individual shares is off the charts absolutely off the charts. Uh, and these institutions are again trading towards the end of the day and they could and because they're trading in large numbers, they can move move things back and forth. So you, when you combine all that over time, you're, you say to yourself, okay, 
you know, the illiquidity and all of this. I'm, and I, I'm, I'm talking about indexes now. I'm not talking about individual stocks. So when yeah. you look at indexes as a, as a reliable indicator of future things happening in the economy, to me, there's a disconnect. So to me, the S&P is not as reliable an indicator as, let's say, it was in the past because of all this, um, let's say, uh, you know, transition when it comes to, you know, people that are large institutions that were in the market in one place that are no longer there to be, let's say, the buyer of last resort or whatever you want to call it. Mm. But I mean, certainly some of that can, many causes for that, for sure. Um, uh, Yeah. So looking at what you're talking about from the S&P not being a leading indicator, um, my question would be, what do you consider to be a leading indicator then, if not the S&P? Well, you, here's, that's a good question. So what's happened is, and, and we talked a little bit about this before, there, there's a lot of data that, that, that's coming out. Uh, that's, there's always data coming out. And the problem is that you can't focus on one piece of data. In fact, there's a lot of numbers that are no longer as reliable as they were in the past. So you have to sort of mm. read between the lines and take data, sort of non-traditional data, and compare that to what's so I'll give you an example. So you say, you know, the, the, the US government reports, you know, consumer confidence. Mm-hmm. And that's a big number. Yes. But the more reliable number, let's say, is the um, University of Michigan consumer confidence. So I think the University of Michigan consumer confidence, the way they gather that data is more reliable. So it's getting it's get, you know, the, the, honestly, it's getting tougher for anybody to find the the you know any one or two indicators that can give you an edge, the that that's been the problem. So I always go back to okay. So we we don't have that many reliable indicators anymore. You have to take a lot. You have to gather a lot of data. The fortunate part about the world today is that all this data is available. It's easy to get, um, and you know, unfortunately, you know, I, I really I wish I could give you an answer about what's the most reliable data. There really isn't one or two or three or four. It's just a, a amalgamation of data and you have to sort of read between the lines. And that's why it's, and then that's the basic, going back to the, your basic question, that's the reason it's very difficult to to sort of predict the future these days because it, there's so much information. A lot of it's not reliable anymore. And, um, you know, when I, I tell people about investing, it goes back to the old saying, it's a, it's a market of stocks, not a stock market. And I think the era of stock picking for the first time in 35 years is coming back because of, you know, we've had this, you know, three or four decades of just this introduction of index vehicles and index investing and, and trend investing and sector investing. And to me, you no longer are going to be able to make a lot of money over time just investing in indexes anymore because of just the proliferation of the amount of money that's gone into quantitative and index type of uh, products, which again leads to back to the the original question leads to the fact that with all this money going in indexes and not really, you know, people doing work on valuations of stocks, these indexes become less reliable for, for anything. interesting take. When we return, we'll hear from Tom about how investors can make sense of the market this year, including some investing advice. But first, let me tell you how you can become a more informed investor through Early Bird, a free daily email newsletter. 
Early Bird has commentary on the latest events and trends in stocks, cryptocurrency, and crowdfunding. With Early Bird's daily weekday email, investors can quickly stay on top of the trends and beat the market. Subscribe to Early Bird for free at www.earlybird.email. Once again, that's earlybird.email. And now, back to today's discussion. So, Thomas, today we're talking about why the S&P should not be a leading indicator, and you've made your points on why you feel that way. Um, from an investor standpoint, a regular average investor who's hearing this, you know, th- they might agree with you that it, the S&P is not a leading indicator for how the economy is doing. But if I'm an investor and I'm making picks of stocks, what am I supposed to do with that information of why the S&P should not be a leading indicator? Well, I think the, the most important part is, you know, is, is you don't have to get caught up. So, if, if for example, if the F, S&P is pre-market up 40 points and, you know, by, by 11 o'clock, it's, let's say, down the day, mm. you know, that type of thing gets investors crazy. They, it gets them sort of concerned. Oh, maybe I shouldn't buy. Maybe I should sell. The, the bottom line is you shouldn't make your investment decisions based on the volatile movements of the Dow, of the S&P, or the NASDAQ. You, you got to almost separate yourself from the movement of the indexes and focus on, you know, for an individual investor, I, people ask me, what's the best way to sort of get started? And I would say, you know, to me, I started, one of the best books I've ever read, goes back into, you know, the 80s, is the is Peter Lynch's One Up on Wall Street. It's, it's, a, it's, one of the, it's a short read. It's one of the best books to read. Because it basically tells you, hey, you know, in, in your everyday life, you're, you believe it or not, you're coming across interesting investment opportunities that the stock market presents. So don't worry, don't watch CNBC or worry about the S and P being up a hundred or down a hundred or whatever it is. You know, massive volatility. Focus on, you know, what you see every day, and invest in in in, in trends and companies that you understand rather than what someone's recommending to you or taking you know some type of view on um, the the s p 500 or, or the uh, the nasdaq oh absolutely you should totally research is, is incredibly important don't just do what someone else says um, also at the same time speak to a financial professional when you're making any of these major investing decisions 100 percent that's what I always say um, we're looking at the market here in 2023 so if the s p is not a leading indicator as you say it is, what do you make of the market I- I this year? Yeah, the market this year is is um, is it's very tough because we had the, one of the, the actually the worst year mm. in terms of asset destruction in history. Right, thirty trillion dollars between stocks and bonds. Uh, we had a drawdown of thirty trillion dollars. That's the worst in history. Mm. So, if you again looking back in in in, in stock market history, which Sometimes, sometimes makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. Usually, when you have this massive drawdowns, you're going to get a snapback, a big snapback in the indexes per se. So, do I expect the index to do better? Yes. Do I? How much are they going to go up? It's it's very difficult because one of the things that everyone is struggling with is this idea of a soft landing or whether we're going to have a recession. And I think what people are missing, what they're really missing, is that. A lot of the, I hate to say, a lot of the strategists or people that are that are making these predictions, unfortunately, 
Many of them had never been through a bear market. They've been only around for 10 years. A lot of them graduated school in 2007, 2008, 2009. They don't really understand. And when you look at the situation today, we are in really unprecedented situations because for, for four decades, we've had interest rates trending lower. Mm. Now we've got a situation where we've got, you know, double the rate of inflation over the last 30 years on average. We've got We've got rates trending higher and people are celebrating economic news, good news, when actually that's bad news in a sense when you have a Fed that's data data dependent, that's not very reliable, that's been behind the curve for, 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 for two years. And they say they're data dependent, which they are. They don't want to lose credibility. So you can celebrate, you know, good economic news, headline news, but that's bad news because that means the Fed is going to have to keep raising rates for longer and rates are going to have to go higher. People talk about, you know, the, the inverted yield curve and the terminal rate. These are things you have to focus on that, again, are not being focused on. And so my my prediction is we are going to have a recession. To me, the inverted yield curve being so long been inverted that it's, to me, it's almost 100% probability we're going to have a recession. Nobody knows how long it's going to be, how deep it's going to be, but... You know, the housing market is one of the great leading indicators and the housing housing situation in this country is, is deteriorating rapidly. Uh, so that's one indicator. You've got, um, you know, the again, these economic numbers, um, they're they're not they're not robust at all. Uh, to, to give you an example, the the you know, the, the GDP in this country is going to come out very soon. It's probably, you know, in the basis points. But yet. The Federal Reserve, the Atlanta Fed, keeps coming out what they call this indicator called GDP now, mm-hmm. and they think it's going to be 2.5%. So this is a, I don't know where they get these numbers from. They, they pull them out of a hat when the real GDP adjusted for inflation is going to be, you know, lower than, you know, 50 basis points or whatever. So this is what I'm talking about. It's just very difficult for the average investor to, to sort of, um, but the common sense tells you this. We've got increasing interest rates. We got inflation that's sticky, okay? Very sticky, meaning it's going to remain in this 5-6%. If you look back in time, this is we've had over, you know, 30 years an average of 2.5%. This is double the amount of inflation we've had over the last 30 years. So, I don't see that to me is not a great environment for stocks because it's not a great environment for earnings. We're just seeing the beginning of an earnings decline. We're going to have you know, probably three quarters of earnings decline. I I wouldn't buy stocks in earnings decline and rising interest rates. So so I can't tell you, I don't have a target on the index or anything of that nature. I'm not one of these uh, strategists to give you those type of targets. But all I can tell you is that if you look at the, at the average strategist, they've been bringing their earnings, the S&P earnings down for about seven months in a row, and they continue to bring them down. So hmm. in that environment... Um, I don't have a very, it's not a rosy background for the overall stock market, but you know, there are pockets of places around the world and in the country where they're going to continue to do well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly a mixed bag right now, uh, where we are economically. Um, there are recession indicators out there. A lot of uh, big businesses have recently downgraded their expectations of a recession. Job growth is still robust. Inflation is coming down year over year. Uh, So it's certainly a mixed bag right now economically. 
Um, real quick, um, in 30 seconds or so, what would you, Thomas, say to investors as, as the biggest piece of advice regarding the market this year? Obviously, we're not, you know, I always say talk to financial advisors. Don't just listen to what you see here on this podcast. But real quick, what advice would you have for investors this year in 2023? Well, if uh, a, a, a riskless treasury bond or on a six-month or a two-year bond could give me three and a half to four percent, I think on a risk-adjusted basis, that's probably as good as you're going to get. And if you do want to uh, delve into the stock market, I would be just, I would, again, be very defensive, not defensive in, in the sense that you're buying ut utility stocks, but yeah. just be very defensive, meaning you want to invest in uh, companies that are domestic U.S. orientated as opposed to these global companies. The problem is is global. So, and, and most of the companies, including the tech companies, they're all global. They have problems with the strong dollar. They have problems with very weak economies overseas, including China. Uh, so domestic small caps are going to continue, have, been, have been outperforming and will continue to outperform. So there's one place in the U.S. that mm -hmm. could possibly, relatively speaking, do well. It's U.S. small cap companies. Wow, domestic small caps. Interesting pick. Uh, Thomas, thank you so much for coming on the Early Bird podcast today to talk about why the S&P should not be a leading indicator and your stock outlook for 2023. Before we wrap up the podcast, I just have one final question, and it's the most important question for today's discussion. Uh, that question for you, Thomas, is if you had a fake name, what would that fake name be? <laughs> Ched. Why Chad? No, Ched. Well, okay, Chad. Why Chad? For some reason, that was like a name that we like people used to use in high school for like you know, kind of fool, whatever. And so I just call him once in a while. I just call myself a Chad. So that would you 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 got me, you know. So that's the one thing that popped into my head. Thank you again to Tom Samuelson for sharing your insights on investing. And thank you to everyone for listening to today's discussion. We'll be back next week for another episode of Early Bird. Have a great day.